0: today on I'll Have You Know.
1: When you've got a startup business and you know, you're dependent on live sport and live sport goes away, you learn really quickly how to figure out how to survive and get to a time when there will be live events and live sports.
0: I'm Christine Dobbin, multiple Emmy award-winning television journalist and Rice Business MBA for Executives Class of 2020. Today we're joined by Aaron Canopy, co-founder of Seats, a Houston-based mobile app platform that puts the stadium at the fans' fingertips. From beer and hot dogs to popcorn and soda, fans don't have to wait in line or miss the game or concert. It's delivered right to their seats. Aaron is a 2008 graduate of the MBA for Professionals program at Rice Business. He shares his journey from McNair Hall at Rice to co-founder and navigating through a pandemic when the fans in the stands disappeared. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. When I first heard the idea of seats, it's one of those concepts that you think to yourself, wait, surely somebody is already doing that. Tell us the story behind it.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually had the same thought myself when the idea was presented to me. Uh, Our other co-founder, Marshall Law, was at a Uh, An Astros World Series game back in 2017, and ran up uh, with his two boys to get a hot dog and and a couple of cokes, and they waited in line for 45 minutes. Um, And they were left field seats, by the way. So while they were waiting in line, uh, Yuli Gurriel hit a home run, and it went right over their seats. Even to the point where you can go back and watch the clips, and you can you can see his empty seats in those highlight clips. And Marshall was just devastated. That's the kind of moment you take your, your family or you take your friends or or that's just why you go to a sporting event to, to catch those moments. And he absolutely missed it. So he texted me that night and and said, hey, I've got this idea. Uh, you know, why can I get food, you know, from Uber Eats from seven miles across town, but I can't get a hamburger from 70 feet away. And my answer to him was, you know, I've I've heard about this before. It seems like it's been done. Uh, but let's investigate it. Let's find out what's what's being done, what's not being done, and and how it's failed in the past, and let's make it work.
0: You're a 2008 MBA for Professionals graduate of Rice Business. You have another co-founder who is also in your cohort. Tell us a little bit about uh, your co-founders, your backgrounds, and how you came together.
1: Yeah. So the the guy with the idea, his name is is Marshall Law. Uh, even better. His full name is Jesse James Marshall law (laughs) Our, uh, yeah, uh, it's true. And he is larger than life in person as well. So, uh, he definitely fits the name. Uh, he's the one who had the idea called me up. Uh, we've known each other for probably going on 15 years now. Our, our wives have been friends, uh, since they were, they were little. So, you know, he and I have always enjoyed talking about business ideas when, where, and how we could start something new. And seats happen to be the one that's really stuck uh Craig Sacanti uh is another great story. Craig was a classmate of mine uh from that that same class in two thousand and eight so Craig and I went through the program together, got into the entrepreneurship program while we were there under al napier and and really just you know took a liking to entrepreneurship after we graduated uh craig was was over in my backyard one night and uh we were having drinks and and he was telling me about this idea he had to start a paint and sip studio and uh and I said Craig I think that's a bad idea man uh <laughs> I don't know if you should you should do that and uh he did it anyway and 10 years later he's got Pinot's Palette which you know has over 150 locations around the US and Craig got connected to us I went to Craig uh, we've stayed really fast friends for the last uh 12 years now and I told him we were needing help finding a developer because I knew about his development background. And he helped us, you know, connect with a few people. And At the end of the day, he said, hey, let me help with that. Let me help build this. Let me be a part of the team. And, uh, and so he started building our MVP for us. And a few months later, joined the team full time as co-founder. And, and today he is our CTO and he is our CFO. Uh, and And he's just been a, a hell of an architect and a hell of an asset to the team, and a big part of why we're where we're at today.
0: you've mentioned there are competitors to seats out there. How are you positioning yourself to be the the premier stadium server?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, you know, especially in this in this current environment you know so I, I want to go back to to what I said you know when Marshall first texted me and about the idea uh when we looked at at what was going on out in the market. You know, there were people who had done it, they had tried it, and there were a few problems uh, that didn't lead to very good adoption. And then there were some ways we differentiated ourselves. So the whole idea of in-seat service got started back um, you know, probably 10 years ago. And if you think back to 10 years ago, there were some serious issues. We didn't have iPhones, we didn't have Androids, you know, no smartphones. The, with today's capability really to speak of. And so, you know, in-seat ordering was just a, a whole different beast back then. The other thing was connectivity, you know, the, the wifi, uh, the cellular service that we've come to expect as a given, uh, no longer a nice to have Uh just wasn't as prevalent as it is today. So today teams and venues know that, you know, it's to their benefit for the fans to be able to, tweet about the event or to post on Facebook or Instagram or to be able to check other scores. So, you know, there's this really big digital transformation that's happened. And then, of course, we've all been conditioned for convenience by those apps like Uber Eats and DoorDash and Postmates to essentially have anything we want brought to us at any time. Now, our differentiator is that we put a heavy emphasis on we're going to call it the back end, kind of that B2B focus of the platform itself. So, a lot of our competitors uh, that have come before us have just focused on the fan app and they focused on providing what we'll call a true software as a service model for the fan. Well, the problem there is that it doesn't help the concessionaires or the venues who are trying to provide that food and beverage. As a matter of fact, it makes things worse, it creates additional orders. It adds to the lead times, it adds to wait times, and it just creates bottlenecks. Whereas we've built out a really, really nice um, operational component on the backside that helps actually manage that event, manage the menus, manage the venue itself, uh, what types of service are provided in certain areas, what the menu looks like. It can vary by area. Uh, How do we manage personnel? And it's all been condensed down into this really simple to use. Uh, platform that's very powerful, you know, in, in its ability to help manage and also report. So that's, and then the final differentiator is that we've provided a lot of the labor as well. If you think about these large stadiums, they're bringing on two, three, 4,000 workers a day or per game. And, you know, bringing on the extra 100 to 200 people to do the in-seat service is just more of a challenge for them. Uh, it's more of a skilled labor set. So we've started out by providing that. Um, and then to resolve the scalability issues, we now have a couple of nationwide partners who specialize in that and we've got alignment with, uh, we're finalizing a contract with one, but it's a, it's a major national name that you would be familiar with uh, and, and happy to share more on that later. But it's really going to help us you know, quality control that whole process for the fan and the venue from, from front to back.
0: What's your long-term goal? Do you want seats to be in every stadium and venue in the country?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our goal, and it's kind of interesting, you know, when, when we look out in the market, first of all, the seats team, were very optimistic. We're very big picture people. You know, we didn't necessarily start out by saying, Hey, we want to service every high school stadium. Uh, in the nation, and then maybe we'll get some minor league teams, and then maybe we'll get some professional teams. Uh, we've kind of taken the opposite route. You know, we did some some proving uh, at Rice University. We still continue to do so, but we quickly made the jump to NRG and the Houston Texans, and with Aramark, which is a, a global uh, concessionaire and food and beverage and services provider. And from there, we've essentially said, look, our mission is to be in every professional stadium. Uh, in North America, that we can be in, and and then we will figure out how to build the platform for these smaller venues. And the reason for that uh, was that the the challenge of implementing and integrating into a large stadium is just so much greater than at a high school. And so for us, we're you know with the team we built, I think we were able to easily jump over those hurdles where others may not uh, be able to do so. So, you know, our moat has been in our expertise, you know, in all things in building a kind of a B2B software and really service those professional stadiums. So, uh, yes, to answer your question, we want to be in every stadium, but we're going to start at the top.
0: That's a good place to start. You also picked a top school to get your business degree, Rice MBA. What, um, there led to your success and did you decide to become an entrepreneur before, during, or after the program?
1: So once at Rice, I just I have to say that the staff, the faculty, all of the classmates—you know—there's so many different factors that contributed to my success. Uh, you know, I'll start by talking about the faculty. I think we have some of the best entrepreneurship faculty out there. At the time, we had Ed Williams, we had Al Napier, and a whole host of just these really creative minds who really pushed that whole entrepreneurial agenda. Uh, really taught us to think like business owners. Uh, you know, all the way from what you think about when you wake up in the morning to when you're in the boardroom uh, to when you're on investor calls, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, a lot of great, great lessons learned there. And then our classmates, just such a such a fantastic group of intelligent people uh, that, you know, we've all stayed in touch since school. Uh, we've stayed in touch with the Rice Network in general. And I really can't speak enough to how, you know, the Rice Network itself has greatly contributed to the success of Seats uh, and probably countless other, other companies. But the desire to help and listen and learn and to make connections wherever they can be made is always readily available when you're talking to somebody from, from Rice Business.
0: How has the pandemic impacted your business?
1: Yeah, well, it's definitely created a new way of looking at large scale events. You know, when when it first hit, uh, we were really interested to see, uh, we were concerned, actually, to use, to use a, a more clear word as to what that meant for us and, and would the company be able to survive. And what we found is that it's really leading to us becoming a better and stronger company. You know, events now have Obviously, a need for social distancing, which is challenging inside large venues and large arenas. Uh, and we facilitate that. We facilitate uh, or we mitigate the need to get up and go to a concession stand and wait in a line on a crowded concourse. Uh, and we also you know allow things like fans to order their food ahead of time so that if they do choose to pick it up instead of have it delivered, they're not standing around waiting. Um, and so, you know through that and through various other platforms that we've built, We really are focused now on, okay, how do we make these events as safe as they can possibly be? How do we help the fan feel comfortable going to an event with 10, 15, 70,000 people uh, and know that they've at least reduced their exposure as much as they can without having to walk around too much?
0: What is the current situation? When do you think we'll see sports and fans as sporting events again?
1: yeah that's a great question. you know, so we're on the phone with again these national food and beverage providers. We're on the phone with professional teams uh and concert venues day in and day out uh, we We've had a few calls today as a matter of fact, with the same and and you know, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. There is a lot of focus and a lot of emphasis on what do we do to again facilitate this safe return to sport. We're not just focused on getting the food, the beverage, the merchandise into the fans hands. We're now focused on how do we help these venues and teams actually ensure that these safety standards are being upheld and met. And so there's a lot of changes and adjustments going into our software that Craig and team are wholeheartedly embracing. You know, it's it's a great combination for us. We're able to both help people And we're able to build a better platform all at the same time. So, you know, I think right now it's May. We're looking at, you know, probably a June timeframe for return to sports without fans in the stands. And then it'll be July or August before we see fans in the stands. And even then it's going to be at a limited capacity. You know, for seats, it's an interesting outlook uh, because prior to COVID, you know, a good adoption rate at a, at a large stadium was going to be anywhere between 5 and 10%. Uh, we're likely going to be seeing high double digits now, um, you know, in the 30, to 40 to 50% adoption. So even with lower numbers of people in the stands, I think that the financial impact for us is going to be minimal, if not even to the positive. So we've, we've really found ourselves in an interesting position that three months ago I, I would never have imagined.
0: Well, and you touched on this. I think of myself even as as a fan going into a stadium, and my reason for using seats may be completely different than what it would have been several months ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, before it was convenience; now it's about uh, touchless transactions. Right? We enable things like uh, NFC and Google Pay, uh, Apple Wallet, all of these technologies that allow you to not have to use cash or even reach for your credit cards, interact with people, touch screens, etc. So, you know, that was kind of the stance we took in late February and said, we've got this technology. Let's start to adjust our messaging because it's really going to be important for these teams and, and these providers to get people back into the stadium. So you're you're 100 percent right.
0: And your tagline is skip the line, not the game. Do you also feel when fans return, there's going to be. So much hunger for sports and to be there at that event that now more than ever, they definitely don't want to miss the Grand Slam or the big play.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think that this is just going to help that adoption uh, increase and it's going to help people see the the true convenience that the Seats platform was originally built to, uh, to provide.
0: Aaron, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs, whether young, old, or somewhere in between?
1: Well, Christine, I'll have you know that the best lesson I learned from this actually can be related back to uh, another famous Rice graduate, a guy named John Doerr. One of his, you know, words of wisdom is, "Ideas are easy, but execution is everything." And when Marshall first called me and told me about this idea, I thought to myself, "You know what? Somebody else is doing it, or it doesn't make sense financially, or..." you know, so on and so forth. I found 10 reasons to think about why we shouldn't do it. But he was persistent. He stayed on me. And we've really built a platform that, you know, executes differently than anything else out there in the market and in, in the world, really. And, you know, I had the same exact conversation with Craig uh, when it came to Pino's Palette. So I've learned this lesson twice in my life, which is probably, you know, more chances than most people should get when he told me about Pinos and I said the same thing. I just wasn't sure about it as an idea. And Craig had gone out and he had executed that idea. So now I'm teamed up with two amazing co-founders. And I'm not shy to tell you that I think we've built something truly incredible that on the surface seems like a simple, easy idea. But the execution, the building of it every day is tedious and it's a grind. But it's so gratifying and it's so enjoyable to watch not only what we've built you know be used in various venues and stadiums around the world, but to watch it grow and to cultivate it and continue to execute to where we're now I think comparable to some of the the biggest players in the industry uh, and forming some partnerships with you know others who are are really well known household names and so you know just because an idea seems easy, just because you think it's been done before. Uh, don't think that it's being done correctly. Don't think that it's being done well. Go out, really vet that idea uh, because I'm sure there's a way to do it better. The world changes every day and ideas have to change with it.
0: The pandemic has caused a rapidly changing business environment for everyone, but especially a business that is focused on crowds or the fan experience since we last talked with Aaron, they've had a chance to essentially relaunch. Aaron, thanks for joining us for an update here on. I will have you know what has happened since we last talked this summer.
1: Uh, a few things. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a wild summer. You know, I, when we last spoke, uh, you know there were there were certainly no live events happening. All of the the teams, the the live venues, were trying to figure out how do we get back. To, to live events? How do we bring fans back in the stadiums? How do we keep them safe, let alone keep the teams and the staff and the management safe? So, you know, since we last spoke, we've actually had events come back. We've had sports come back, you know, led primarily by Major League Baseball uh, without fans. Uh, the NBA, the NHL, they've all had their seasons come and go without fans. And so, you know, that was kind of the first phase and now we're starting to see sports have fans back in the stadiums. And so for us, it started a couple of months ago uh, with our own hometown team, the Sugarland Skeeters. Uh, they had a, a, a small season, if you will, and it went off really well. Uh, we were out there. We were helping them. Fans were out there. People were able to get out, enjoy sport, and it was a good time. Uh, we've since, uh, also been able to get back with the Houston Texans. We were there on Sunday with a full stadium and the Houston dynamo and the dash. Uh, so we're, we're starting to see it, it thaw out quite a bit, quite a bit.
0: What do you expect the next few months to look like things are still somewhat uncertain, but any kind of expectation or plan?
1: Yeah. You know, so far it's, it's gone pretty well with the live events that have taken place and the new norm has set in. People have really, you know, followed the recommendations, the rules at the stadiums. And so I think you're going to continue to see, you know, that appetite for sport grow. Granted, we're still seeing a lot of caution. Uh, You know, the, the media is still preaching caution. Uh, And so fans are, are hesitant to come back, I think. But, you know, if you go to these events and you see how well, thought out the planning is uh, and, and as that continues to progress I think you're going to really see seasons pick back up so I think you'll see the NFL they'll continue to, to you know have fans I think you're going to see a lot of the the NBA the MLB they've got some really good plans in place for how do we safely bring fans back and you know the fall is going to be uh, kind of a, a telltale time you know can we pull it off and will we and what I think you're going to to really see happen is the spring is going to be when a lot of sports come back in a big way, right? We're going to have had the NFL. We're going to have had college football, college sports. Uh, they're being played weekly now. Well, as a matter of fact, we're going to be at University of Houston tomorrow. Uh, Rice starts back October 24th. So we're going to have a lot of data points that tell us, you know, is it safe and can it be done? And so far, uh, all the all the indications are, yes, this can be done. This can be done and you know there's a lot of push as you've seen for vaccines now and and so with that coming out in addition to people actually wearing their masks actually following the recommendations i think we're going to we're going to have a much improved 2021
0: i think people are anxious to get out and a lot of people wanting to still be cautious but i think there's going to be a lot a lot of hunger no pun intended for for your services
1: there are yeah uh, absolutely i mean You know, I think the summer is one thing people are able to get outside, enjoy themselves. And so the return to sport, you know, we may not have seen kind of that, that huge appetite for it right at the beginning, but I'm just thinking about the winter and with, you know, restaurants and bars and and venues, you know, being operated at limited capacity, people are going to be stuck indoors for the next few months, you know, maybe not here in Houston, but anywhere in the Northeast where it's cold, they're they're going to be stuck indoors and not have much ability to get out. You know, one of our clients uh, is a professional team up in New York, and they're not looking forward to the colder weather. So yeah, in the springtime, uh, when it starts to warm up, I think you're going to see you know a huge a huge surge in demand for live events.
0: I know when you started this company with your co-founders, the idea behind it was so that fans at an event, a sporting event or a concert. They don't miss the event standing in line for a concession. But could you have never ever imagined that there would be another purpose for it in in people being able to just stay seated and not have to interact with as many people and there's a safety element to it.
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, it took us a couple days to to realize that. And, you know, when it finally hit us, you know, and and this was kind of right at the when everything started to shut down, when it when it really hit us, we said, guys, we we actually we've always been against lines. We've always been against crowds like that's that's what the platform is at its core. Right. It's it's don't wait in line. Don't waste your time. Don't be around other people. And so, yeah, you know, that's that's probably if there is a silver lining to all this all this terrible pandemic, it's that, you know, we have the ability to to facilitate social distancing, to mitigate lines, to get rid of crowds uh, on the concourse. And our clients agree with that. And so we've had great success um, implementing that, becoming part of that critical plan to return to to live events in a safe manner.
0: How has the pandemic changed seats as a company and you personally as a founder?
1: You know, it's definitely going to be one of those experiences that we look back on and say it, it made us a lot, uh, made us a lot tougher. It made us a lot more resilient. You know, when you've got a when you've got a startup business and you know you're dependent on live sport and live sport goes away, uh, you you learn really quickly how to pivot, how to find other opportunities, how to how to figure out how to survive and get to a time when there will be live events and live sports, you know, how do you survive? And we, we not only chose to, to really spend the time to figure out how to survive, but it was how do we thrive during this time? How do we push our company to become better? How do we not hibernate and just get to the other end of this and then fire it back up? How do we actually work to be stronger, more, more resilient? And so that's where it really came into play, you know, Adjusting our marketing plan, uh, understanding what our clients' needs are going to be. start signing these contracts now. Uh, and then, of course, you know we had to raise money during this time as well. Uh, and so that was that was extremely challenging. Um, but what we also found are there are people out there who genuinely believe in in us as a team, who believe in seats as a platform. And the 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 capability and the and the possibility that it holds, and when you find those people as you know investment partners, you know you you grab them and you hold on to them. But we weren't going to let anything stop us. There there is a way to pivot out of anything, and I would say that we we really learned that throughout all of this. And so I don't know that I'll ever tackle a problem again, uh, thanks to COVID and a global pandemic, to where I say that we can't work our way out of this. So and it's all ironic and and you know for the oil and gas you know people who listen to this you'll laugh cuz i got out of oil and gas cuz i was tired of the ups and downs <laughs> <laughs> and covid hit and so i still have to i get to apply some of that you know oil and gas roller coaster experience to this and i think that helped also <laughs> <laughs>
0: So one last question before we go here. If I'm sitting at home watching maybe an Astros game um, on my couch, can I order a beer and a hot dog and have it delivered to my home?
1: <laughs> Not yet, but we're thinking about that. I'd rather you go to the stadium and and uh, support the team and support us there. <laughs> That being said, soon you could be maybe sitting in your office watching the game like a lot of people are today or sitting on campus. We're we're actually, you know, that's one thing that came out of the pandemic is we are actively working with some of our major food and beverage providers on can we work with you in business dining? Can we work with you in higher education? Can we can we service, you know, your your products and offerings in healthcare? So there's a lot of areas that we are looking uh, just not your home yet. I, I don't feel like competing with Uber Eats just yet, but give me another 12 months. We'll talk about it.
0: <laughs> we'll check back with you. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Okay, Erin Canopy, co-founder of Seats. Thank you for this update on I'll Have You Know, and we wish you luck and look forward to seeing your continued success.
1: Great, thanks, Christine. Appreciate it. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it and let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, David Drugliever, and Christine Dobbin.